Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Okay, I've been to Israel three times, and they have these hand-washing stations at certain places. And you go there, you can go there, just fountains, water, just running. And you hold your hands under there, and they, they do this thing. They want to make sure they get all the filth off their hands. Again, not a bad idea. I got no problems with washing your hands, except for when you think that that actually cleanses you. Then I got issues, especially because what they see is a physical problem. Jesus is highlighting a spiritual problem that they just don't get. The Pharisees always liked to throw wrenches into Jesus's ministry. When Jesus would speak to the people, the Pharisees would frequently take the opportunity to contradict him with their own agendas. Pastor James teaches today that the Pharisees couldn't see the truth that Jesus was trying to share. They were only looking at the physical nature of things, while Jesus was highlighting a spiritual problem deeper within. That problem is found in us too. So heed Jesus's teaching today. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 7, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Mark chapter 7, there's a transition that happens in the Gospels. We've gone through these miracles that Jesus has been performing, and now you're going to get into some specific teachings that he's going to cover. And we're only going to cover the first 23 verses of this chapter because there's two healings that take place at the end of it that warrant their own time. So what we're going to talk about today is this this thing concerning inner purity. What is defilement? What does that even mean? And I think this is a, a major one within our world and and our society today. It's something that Jesus had to wrestle with because in his day, the religious leaders, they had it, they just had it all wrong. They had it all wrong. The Pharisees and the scribes in this story, just so you're aware, a group of these guys have already plotted and they're already planning to kill Jesus at this moment. So they're sending out little spies kind of to check him out and to see what he's talking about. They've been hearing stories of him healing people and doing things that nobody else on this planet can do unless they're the Messiah. And so they're sending out guys to kind of check him out and everything. And every time they show up, they always have an issue with him because he's breaking their rules. He's breaking their rules, emphasis on their rules, their traditions. Jesus, you're not doing it like we think it should be done. Well, who's wrong? Jesus or mankind? Mankind is always wrong. Always wrong when it comes to the teachings of Jesus and the word of God and the word of God. So this is what we're going to encounter, but I did want to start that off with, we need to understand that these very religious people, and I don't fault them to a certain extent. I get it. I understand historically where they're coming from. But man, we can so quickly and so easily replace the word of God with the traditions of man. And welcome to the American church. Do you ever stop to think of why certain rules are rules? I mean, do we ever, st- no, we usually don't because we just grow up in this thing and we're like, well, no, that's, 
that's, that's got to be in the Bible because that's what people used to yell at me about when I showed up to church wearing this or that. Is it in the Word? You guys know where I stand on this, man. If it's not in the Word, then we can't make it a law. And we need to be cautious and careful about these things. We also need to be cautious and careful about being too liberal because that's a whole other problem in the church where they'll throw away the Word and tradition so that we can just be free and do whatever we want. Well, that's nonsense. That's crazy. Like, you can't go that, you can't go that extreme. So what do we do? We stay, we stay in the center. We stay grounded on the Word of God. What does it say? That's what I care most about. When I stand before the Lord Jesus, he is never going to question me on like, so, you know, customary to the American church, you should have been wearing this or shouldn't have been wearing that. He's never going to say that. Never. He will say, so, James... I entrusted to you a gift and responsibility and a pastorship over a church and over people. And what did you do with what I gave you? How did you handle my word? How did you handle my word? Pretty bad. He's like, I know, I know. My grace is sufficient for you. And I'm like, yes. That's, I would feel like I would be walking in there, still smoke coming off my body, right? Like... Praise God for his grace and his mercy. But I want us to focus in on the importance of the word, of the word. You're going to hear it a lot if you come here for any length amount of time. You're going to hear it a lot. We want you to be in your Bibles. We want you to read the word. Read the word. Please don't just do it on Sundays. And this counts only a little bit, right? Because I'm primarily reading the word and you're just listening, if at best, right? Like if, if you can. Um, you have to read it for yourself. You have to read it for yourself. You have to read the Bible for yourself. Not religion, not rules. No, you got you to get into this thing because this is the best thing ever. This book is the best thing ever. It's the living word of God. It's the living word of God. Do, is it always exciting? No, it's not. It's not. You read through the one-year Bible, you're going to get to portions of scriptures where you're like, Come on, like how many names do I have to read today? A lot, but you press on. You just keep pressing on. You're like, what's the point? Discipline is the point. Just keep showing up. So let's, let's look at this. We did our vision service and all that good stuff. We kind of expounded a little bit more on Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the storm and how Peter got the opportunity to go out and to walk on the water. And, and he took some steps, but then he took his eyes off of Jesus and it, his focus became the storm that was surrounding him. And he, then he sank, but then he cried out to Jesus and Jesus rescued him. Praise God that Jesus will rescue us when we take our eyes off of him. Okay. That's an important lesson for us to learn as, as Christians because we will take our eyes off of him. It's not if, it's when. But just know when that happens, you just cry out to him, Jesus, save me, rescue me is really the term there, and he will rescue you. So you go from that into this next portion, chapter 7, verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers or scribes of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, don't get it mistaken. They're not like, they're not interested in hearing these great teachings from Jesus. They are simply trying to catch him slipping. That's it. That's all. It's a setup. It's just a setup. He's going to say something because remember the plot to kill him, the ball's already rolling. 
So they just need ammunition. They just need to say some bad things so they can catch them. So as they show up, they're observing Jesus and his disciples and how they interact with people. Verse 2, it says, they noticed that some of his disciples, not all of his disciples, but some of his disciples, failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jewish ritual, not the word of God. The Jewish ritual, the Jewish tradition. And let me say, that's a pretty good one. My goodness, the scariest thing was the fact that nobody knew how to wash their hands. Like, how in the world is Sesame Street? I get it. They should be teaching kids. But when they start advertising to adults that this is how you wash your hands, I'm panicking because I'm like, holy cow, people don't know how to wash their hands. Are you kidding me? Uh, you guys know me. I'm somewhat of a germaphobe, not totally, but kind, just enough, just enough to where when I hear things like that, I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't ever go anywhere without hand sanitizer now. It's probably doing more damage than good at this point, but I'm just going to keep using it. I'm just like, ah, hand, dirty, what? Whatever. This is a ritual. It's a good one. We understand that. There were certain things that were put into place back in the Old Testament that were meant to teach the Jews the importance of distinction and separation and holiness and all that good stuff, right? Now, this hand-washing thing, this ritual of hand-washing, this was going to be found more in the, the Mishnah, okay? So this is like a, an add-on to the Word of God, a Jewish add-on to the Word of God, okay? Where they would elaborate on certain laws and rules. They're like, okay, but exactly what does it mean to rest on the Sabbath? And then so they created this other text where they could elaborate a little bit more on that, okay? And so they even got it down to like, so you can only take this many steps on the Sabbath. And if you take one more step than that one, then you've broken the rule. And you're like, well, that's okay. You can't turn on light switches. So the day before, leave your lights on because you can't work the light switches in your house, like all these extra things. But see, the point behind it was they respected and revered the word of God so much, they're like, we don't want to break this thing. So I admire that. However, when you go so far as to say, well, but these new rules kind of usurp the old rules. You're like, no, 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 that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea because that's all like legality and there's no license. There's no freedom in that at all. There's no freedom in that at all. But that's what they did, and especially because the Pharisees arrived in the intertestament times. What I mean by that is, so your Old Testament ends with Malachi, or Malachi, if you're like an Italian, right? You can just say either way. So it ends with that guy, and then there's about 400 years of silence, roughly, before you get into the New Testament times. So the Pharisees, they popped up in that gap. Okay, so they had already gone through captivity and they've seen all this stuff and they're like, we didn't obey the word of God and it got us in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. So we're going to go to the other extreme to avoid that at all costs. Well, the problem is then they idolized their concepts and their traditions. So what was probably meant to be a good thing quickly became a bad thing. So where when the Messiah shows up, the word of God shows up, they have nothing but accusations to bring against him. 
the word of God. He's the one who spoke it into existence. And they're like, we have problems with you. You got problems with me. Yeah, they've are, we've already seen this early on in the Gospel of Mark. They've already come to him and says, we don't like what you're doing, Jesus. Why do you keep breaking our laws? Because they're your laws. They're not God's laws. They're your laws. Well, we don't like that. Okay, we'll deal with it. Well, we will. We're going to kill you. He's like, I know. I knew that before the foundations of the earth. But he's going to teach us this beautiful lesson of what does it mean to be defiled? And where does true defilement come from? Because these guys, they think it's external. Because they're like, your disciples are not washing their hands. And just so you understand this, when a rabbi's disciples or students were displaying bad behavior, the blame always goes back to the rabbi. The blame always goes back to the teacher, right? You know what that's like. You got kids, go eat at a restaurant afterwards. Kids are acting like animals. Who is everybody else looking at? Well, they're looking at you, the parent. Like, can you do something? Like, this is your fault. And you're like, I know, I know. They're looking at Jesus and they're like, hey, these guys aren't following tradition. They're not following our traditions. So verse 3 kind of gives us a little bit more clarification. It says, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Okay, I've been to Israel three times, and they have these hand-washing stations at certain places. And you go there, you can go there, just fountains, water, just running. And you hold your hands under there, and they, they do this thing. They want to make sure they get all the filth off their hands. Again, not a bad idea. I got no problems with washing your hands, except for when you think that that actually cleanses you. Then I got issues, especially because what they see is a physical problem. Jesus is highlighting a spiritual problem and that they just don't get. Verse four says, similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is one of but many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. They are so obsessed with outward cleanliness. Like, especially if they go to the market where, my goodness, if they had a chance or by chance came across a Gentile, ooh, got to really scrub down, right? They're like, oh, we don't touch those guys. And so they really would scrub down like a doctor before surgery, man. They are just like, they are scrubbed to the elbows. And then they, in between eating their meals, they would, they're so obsessive that they'd eat that meal or drink that drink. And then they wash that out before they filled it up with new drink or new food. And you're like, that's crazy. We, we wash dishes, but that's after the meal. And that might be before we go to bed. If we're, if we're lucky, if we're doing good, right? Like we have a really good regiment, like a good system. These guys are like, clean the plate, then literally clean the plate before you put more food on it. That's how obsessed they were with external cleanliness. There's no freedom there. There's no, how do you, how do you enjoy life? How do you enjoy life? How do you enjoy the meal with the people you're sitting with if all you guys are doing is just stressing over getting dirty? It's crazy. Verse 5 says, So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old traditions? Why don't they follow us, Jesus? It says they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. They're like, this is disgusting because like, 
a quarter of these guys are fishermen, right? And that's gross. And although they're not fishing at this point in time, but still they're like, they're breaking bread with their nasty, dirty fingernails and then they're passing it and they're just eating it with like, what, with freedom? Yeah. They're like, it's Jesus, don't you care about their cleanliness? And he's like, I absolutely care about their cleanliness. But I care about the cleanliness that actually matters. And that's their heart. And Jesus nails them. I love this about Jesus. This is like the most like John Wayne, you know, kind of thing that like, again, I don't know what you picture Jesus as, but it's that long, blonde, flowing hair guy. I'm like, that's not Jesus. That's not him. He's probably like, you know, Jewish, normal Jewish looking guy. He's like, you hypocrites. You phonies. You guys are... I mean, you just name it. You can figure out uh, the term hypocrite means two-faced. It was a term used for actors back in the day. They know how to put on another face, right? Like put on another character. He's like, you guys are phony. You guys are fake. You're hypocrites. And he calls them out. And he calls them out using the word of God. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. They're like, what? <laughs> like, because when you start using the Old Testament, especially Old Testament prophet like Isaiah to expose the faults of these very religious people, you're going to have their attention. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. They're like, oh, really? Elaborate. He's like, don't mind if I do. These people honor me with their lips or with their mouths, but their hearts are far away from me. Posers, fakes. You may talk a good game, but it doesn't matter how you talk. It matters how you walk. You may dress the part. It means nothing. It means nothing. What matters the most is your heart. Does it belong to him? Is it his? I don't care what you look like. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how you talk. I don't care if you raise your hands in worship. I don't care if you carry around a Bible everywhere you go. It does not matter all that much if your heart is not right. If your heart's not right, it's vanity. It's emptiness. It's just a display of what? Trying to impress people. The Pharisees were guilty of trying to impress people all the time. They dressed a certain way so that they could impress people. And so they could communicate to people, I am more important than you are because I am a Pharisee. See my nice robe and all the stuff on it? Yeah, that means I'm better than you. It means I'm more important than you. See how I pray out in public with my hands stretched out wide, and I use these great theological terms and all this stuff? Yeah, that just simply means that I'm better than you are. When I show up to give my offering, and I ring the bell, so I can draw all the attention, so you can know, here's how much I'm putting in the box. It just communicates that I'm better than you. That's all they were about. That's all they were about. And Jesus spent a good portion of his time continually calling out fake religious people. They were always the problem. He never had a problem with sinners. Jesus didn't have a problem with a woman caught in adultery. He set her free. He didn't have a problem with a woman that he met in Samaria 
who he asked her to give him a drink from the well, which you do not do back in that day, especially a rabbi. You don't, you don't find yourself alone with a woman, especially of notable character, and ask her to give you a drink of water. Jesus wasn't worried about that. He addressed her needs. She got saved. She turned into this great evangelist, so to speak, because she got the whole town to come out to see Jesus. Jesus had issues with religious people. He just did. And it's easy for us to look at this and be like, man, those religious guys, what bums, right? Yeah, but here's the thing. We have to be cautious that we don't become them because that is the danger for each and every one of us. It's the danger for each and every one of us. If we're honest, well, this is how we do church. Well, but why? Why? Is that in the Bible? Is it in the Word? Well, then we don't hold fast to those things. If it's a certain style, well, styles come and go. We know that. We've, we've lived through that. We've gone through times in church services where hymnals were the method of worship, and that's a beautiful thing. But we don't own any hymnals. Well, we might have some in a box somewhere, but we don't really use those. Is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? It's just where we're at right now. It's neither bad nor good. It's just a style thing. What's the point? The point is we worship God. And hopefully the songs we sing are good, theologically sound songs. Let me tell you this. There's a lot of hymns that are not theologically sound. Just because they're hymns doesn't mean they're great. They're not scripture. They're not scripture. So we hold those things in an open hand because we just don't hold fast to those things. We hold fast to the word. We hold fast to certain doctrines and theological things. The hypocrites are like, man, we hold fast to what? Hand washing. Hand washing. Okay. It's not going to save you. And it doesn't do you any good other than maybe prevent you from getting a bad case of food poisoning or something or whatever. I don't know. But Jesus is like, you guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It says, their worship, I like this, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says their worship is a farce. That's a word you don't hear much anymore, right? But it's, it's fake. It's fake. It says, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. When we start teaching in churches, man-made ideas as commands of God. We have to be cautious. Again, and we live in such a weird world where, I mean, we can turn anything into the 11th commandment. And we do that. And we do that. We're really good at that. Why? Because, well, we have what? We have to control people. No, you can't control people. You can't. You just, so the best thing to do is point them to Jesus and point them to the word of God. And let them grow in their understanding. So then you can answer questions such as, well, can Christians drink alcohol or not? Well, do you want the biblical answer? Or do you want the answer that most of us grew up with in the church? The Bible makes it pretty clear. Now, I know there are certain distinctions made for leaders within the church and all that good stuff. I can tell you this right now. And you guys know this. I have no problem sharing this with you at all. I do not drink alcohol at all. At all. And I made that decision in my life when I was a high school student. Not saved. Because alcoholism is a problem in my family. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless. 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken.